So we are in Ephesians chapter number 5. We finished out down through verse number 21, and we will start in verse number 22. Now my hope was is that we would uh, be able to finish the chapter tonight uh, talking about uh, home life, uh, but I'm not sure that, that we'll be able to do that, but I will uh, uh, try to, to uh, go through it as quickly as possible. So one thing I want you to think about, even before we uh, start reading the scripture or anything else, I have a question that I want uh, you to ponder. Um, don't answer out loud. Uh, just think about it. And this is true that usually the first thing that pops into your head is how you really feel. Sometimes when we get asked a question, something pops into our head and then we start reasoning and say, well, that wouldn't sound good if I said that or whatever. So then we, we talk ourselves out of it. But the first thing that comes into your head, that's uh, what is really in your heart. <clears throat> so the questions are, or the question is, what is the most important thing in your life? What is that thing that you hold the most special the one thing that you could not live without. What is that thing? So just think about that for a moment. Now before we get started in verse number 22, and we'll come back to that uh, here in just a little while, but I want you to be thinking about uh, what is the most uh, special, important thing to you. So <clears throat> we got to understand that we want to back up and look at verse number 21. Uh, because Paul was speaking to all Christians. We know that um, in uh, chapter number 5, he starts out, that says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk um, in love as Christ also had loved us. So in this chapter, he is speaking to uh, Christian people. So when he ended this last section in verse number 21, he was speaking to all of us as Christians, when he said, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, it's important that we touch on that before we get down into verse number 22 because submission is something that God expects from all Christians. We are to be submissive to the will of God. We are to be submissive to the word of God. We are to be submissive to one another. We're supposed to put others in ahead of ourselves, and we should, we should um, <clears throat> render uh, benevolence to uh, each other as Christians. So Charles Ryrie uh, had a quote that said, The key thought for understanding Paul's view of proper personal relationships in a Christian household the subjection is to be mutual and based on reverence for God. The differing responsibilities, if followed, bring harmony, but if ignored, they bring difficulty. So in this passage of Scripture, verse 22 down through verse number 33, this can be a very contentious uh, subject. When we start talking about marriage and we start talking about the home and we start talking about how God uh, set up the home and uh, these verses can be and have been grossly misinterpreted uh, and misapplied uh, over the years. That's why the Word of God tells us 
uh, that we should study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Sometimes when we, uh, it's, it's human nature, that sometimes when we read the word of God, we put our own thoughts and feelings in there and we interpret it the way that we want, uh, what we want it to say rather than what it actually says. So understanding that, that this can be contentious, I will tell you that uh, there is nothing negative in these verses, okay? God is not pro-man and anti-woman. He's not pro-woman and anti-man. God loves men and women the same equally, okay? So there's nothing negative. People look at these verses and they see negative in it, and there's not negative there. Um, and if we really want to get down to it, when you look at these verses, okay, verse 22, 23, and 24, he's primarily speaking to women. So he dedicated, Paul and the Holy Spirit of God dedicated three whole verses uh, to women. But then he dedicated seven verses to men. So if that, if, if that tells you anything, maybe we're a little more hard-headed and he had, he had to spend more time talking to us uh, than he did the women. But just put that into perspective as we go through. Now, God speaks to the Apostle Paul in these verses to give us guidance on how to have a happy, fulfilling marriage. So this is not a negative thing. This is not uh, to where uh, God's trying to whip us into shape. He's letting us know, if you want to have a happy marriage, if you want to have a great relationship with your husband and with your wife, here's how you do that. Some people are very afraid of covering this subject. Others like to use it as a whipping post and like to beat people up with it. But it's important that we remember that God always has our best interest in mind. Since He created men and women, who better to know what we think and feel than the Creator Himself? These scriptures are not negative, but extremely positive. God is educating us on how our spouse thinks and feels and the emotional needs that He created us with. Several years ago, uh, there was a study conducted uh, with some people that were attending uh, a series of marriage seminars. And one of the questions in that study that was asked of everyone was, would you rather be loved or respected? Would you want people to say that they love you, but they didn't respect you, or would you want people to say that they respected you but did not love you? Now, that's a tough choice. We all want to be loved and respected. But you have to choose. You have to choose, okay, do I want to be loved even though I'm not respected? Or do I want to be respected even though I'm not loved? The interesting thing is that the overwhelming majority of men said that they would rather be respected than loved the overwhelming majority of women said that they would rather be loved than respected. So that tells us something about how we're created and how our mind thinks. Here's the thing. You get married and you, 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 you love somebody and you get married and then once you start living together, the newness wears off and then you realize I married a crazy person. 
because this person doesn't think right, they don't, they don't do right. And it's, it's not that, it's just simply because men think a certain way and have certain feelings and certain uh, emotional needs, and women think a certain way and have certain feelings and have certain emotional needs, and they're not the same. <laughs> they're not the same. I remember uh, I, I had a friend of mine several years ago he was, he was married, and this was his fourth marriage. It was his wife's fifth marriage, and they were having rough times and ultimately ended up getting a divorce. So he was going through the divorce, and he was dealing with depression because this was his fifth divorce, and it was his wife's sixth divorce. Okay, um, So I asked him, I said, just out of curiosity, I said, if you were talking to a group of young men, what advice would you give them? What advice would you give a group of young men about marriage? Now, most people would think that's stupid to ask somebody that's been married four different times what advice they would give. Well, you've been married four different times. You've probably made a lot of mistakes, so you probably have a lot of advice to give out. So this is what he said. He said, I would tell anybody that would listen, when you get married, Keep the one you have because they're all the same. He said it comes in different packages, different wrapping paper, different bows, but at the end of the day, they're all the same. Now, that may not be true. You can't really say across the board every man's exactly the same and every woman's exactly the same, but that was the advice that he said he would give. So just keep the one you have. Because if you think you're going to get rid of her and get something different, you're wrong. Because they're the same. That's what he said. Now, it's important that we understand the difference between men and women, especially when it comes to the marriage relationship. Contrary to what the world tells us, uh, men and women are different. I don't think men are better than women. I don't think women are better than men. But if we can look at a woman and we can look at a man and we can watch a woman for 30 minutes and watch a man for 30 minutes and then say there's no difference between them, well, that's just foolish. That's foolishness. There's a lot of differences, and we need to recognize that. And that's not a bad thing. Aaron and I are both men, but we're different. That doesn't mean it's bad that we don't have to be the same. Okay, we're different. John and I are different. Uh, people are different. <clears throat> um. How we think is different, how we feel is different, how we react to situations is different. Our basic emotional needs are different. Here's the thing. A woman's main emotional need is to be loved and to be cherished. A man's main emotional need is to be respected and admired. There have been wars that have fought because a, a leader of one country disrespected a leader of another country. There have been wars fought over that. If you go to prison, you can get stabbed or beaten if you disrespect somebody else. That is, that is something that uh, cuts across all uh, um, backgrounds and all mindsets, at least uh, for men. Now, since that's how God made us, how he gives us direction on how we should treat each other so we can feel emotional needs for our spouse. So God gives us the directions right here in chapter 5. Um, the main focus of these verses 
Two main words, submission and love. Now Galatians 22, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now that's the fruit of the Spirit. Well, the question is, does that scripture describe our home and our marriage? Because if our home is based on serving God and it's centered around the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit lives within me and I'm fulfilling and obeying what the Holy Spirit tells me to do and if it lives within my wife and she's obeying what the Holy Spirit tells her to do, then the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that we are a Spirit-filled home and we have a Spirit-filled marriage would be love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That word long-suffering means I suffer through you, right? That, that, that's literally what it means. I suffer having to deal with you, but I suffer long. I don't give up. I'm able to withstand it. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That should describe our homes as Christians, but it doesn't. Al- that's not always the case. <clears throat> now, so let's look at verse 22 down through verse number 24. Paul says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, notice this immediately followed verse 21 where he said, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So this is not saying that the wife has to be submissive to the husband, but the husband does not have to be submissive to the wife. That is not what this is saying at all. The positive behind this is Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, is conveying to wives the emotional needs of the man, of her husband. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So first of all, the advice to wives, we got to ask the questions. What is it? Why is it? And how do you do it? So the what is submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That word submit means to subordinate, to obey, to be under obedience. Now that does not mean that the wife is a slave. What it means is, is that she should willingly uh, submit unto the leadership of her husband. Now the why is because in verse number 23, Paul tells us that the husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. Now that word head means the position or place of leadership. Why is the husband in the leadership role? Because that is how God set it up. I am in the leadership role in my home not because I'm smarter than my wife, not because I'm more intelligent, not because she's not capable. It's because that's how God set it up. You see, I go to work. I have a boss that I submit myself to her authority. That doesn't mean I'm less than she is. It means that the company made a decision to put her in that position of leadership, and my responsibility is to submit to her leadership to tell her how I feel, 
to give her the advice and my opinion, but at the end of the day, I have to submit unto what, how she wants it done rather than how I want it done. Um, in Genesis 3.16, we know why. Unto the woman, and this is after uh, Eve was deceived and Adam um, intentionally sinned uh, because he loved Eve uh, greater than he loved God. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. So he did two things here as punishment to Eve and to uh, all women. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. What he's saying is the husband is going to be the one that is going to be in the leadership role in the home. 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. You see, we could. there's multiple scriptures that touch on that, and we're not trying to... Uh, you know, to beat this drum, just understand that it's that way because that's how God set it up. So don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at anybody else. It's how God wanted it, and it's how he set it up. Now, then how? How is uh, not only what is the uh, God tells wives to do, and not only the why, but then the how. In verse number 24, he gives us the how to be subject to their own husbands in everything. That word subject literally means, uh, the Greek word there means to obey, to be under obedience. And everything means everything. It means all, any, every, and the whole. Now Warren Wiersbe said, When a Christian wife submits herself to Christ and lets him be the Lord of her life, she will have no difficulty submitting to her husband. This does not mean that she becomes a slave, for the husband is also to submit to Christ. But if both are living under the lordship of Christ, then there can be only harmony. Headship is not dictatorship. And it's very important that we understand that. You see, this whole thing only works if the wife follows the guidance of the word of God and the husband follows the guidance of the word of God. That's when there's harmony. If you have the wife doing what she's supposed to do and the man taking advantage of that and, and doing the wrong thing, there won't be harmony in the home. If you have the man that is doing what God tells him to do, how that he should treat his wife, and his wife is not doing what God said, there will not be harmony in the home. The only way that you can have a happy, loving marriage and the fruit of the Spirit will uh, describe your marriage and your relationship is when both parties follow the leadership of the Word of God. Now, if you've got a job, you submit yourself to the authority of the head of your department, your boss, but why are they the boss? Because that's who the company put in charge. Plain and simple. Um, I've got a boss. I don't always agree with them. Uh, but I'm obligated to follow their direction. It doesn't mean I'm a slave, nor does it mean that I'm somehow less of a person. It simply means they are the one that has been placed in the position of leadership. Here's the thing also that we can't forget. The person in the leadership role has the ability to delegate part of their responsibility, but even if they do, they are always held responsible 
for everything that happens. So I can remember many times that I managed people uh, and when they would do something wrong, I would get yelled at. I wasn't there. I didn't tell them to do it. Maybe I told them not to do it and they did it anyway, but I still had to answer for it even though they did not follow my instructions and did not do what I told them to do. Uh, I remember when I was managing a restaurant one time, uh, I was working night shift. We were shorthanded managers. I was the, uh, the general manager. And so I scheduled myself for nights because I didn't have a manager to work the day shift. So I had uh, what we called a team leader, which is like an assistant to the assistant, running the restaurant during that day. Well, the owner and the district manager happened to stop by that day when my team leader was in charge. Well, they got there right at the end of lunch and all the tables were dirty in the dining room and the trash was full and hadn't been taken out. So what did he do? He did not go talk to the team leader. He called me at home and fussed at me because the tables were dirty and the trash wasn't taken out. And then he and the owner got the cleaning supplies and cleaned all the tables and took the trash out. Then he called me again to tell me how they had handled it, okay? So it reflected very poorly on me. I was responsible even though I wasn't at the restaurant at that time. I didn't tell the team leader, hey, don't worry about cleaning the dining room tables and don't worry about taking the trash out. She was busy, things were crazy, she was doing the best she could, but who was responsible? I was responsible. If the football team loses and has a losing streak, the quarterback doesn't get fired, the running back doesn't get fired, the head coach gets fired. The head coach is responsible for everything that happens on the field, even though they didn't take one snap, they didn't throw one pass, they didn't fumble, they didn't do anything. They stood on the sidelines, but they are 100% responsible for everything that happened. So in that, we have to understand that I can make decisions in the home, I can defer to my wife and I can let her make decisions in the home, but when I stand before God, I will give an account for everything that happened in our home, good or bad, whether, whether I wanted it to happen or I didn't, I will give an account for how our children was raised, how our finances were, everything, because that's the price of leadership and headship. <clears throat> now, so that's the advice to wives. So why did, why did the Holy Spirit of God speak through Paul and tell wives uh, that they uh, should be willingly submissive to their husbands? It's because the husband's main emotional need is to be respected and admired. So if a wife pushes back against her husband, she is not meeting his emotional needs. That, so that's why God said that, not because wives are inferior. It's, you see, if, if a woman was inferior to a man, she would not have to submit. She would already be subordinate. But the fact that a woman is not subordinate to a man and she chooses to willingly submit, that's what makes, uh, that's what meets the emotional needs of the husband. Now, so let's look in verses 25 down through verse number 32. Um, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, 
or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So what advice uh, does God give to husbands? Simply love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now you talk about a standard. You see, because Jesus Christ gave all. He gave everything. He gave his life because he loved you and I so much. And that's what God is saying that's required of a man. A husband's love should be a sacrificial love. What was the most important thing to Jesus? You and I, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, Titus 2.14 says. So many men uh, will say, oh yeah, I love my wife like Christ loved the church. I would lay down my life for my wife. And there's no doubt that they would. If somebody broke in the house, they would put themselves in between the, the burglar and their wife and they would give their life up. But men, unfortunately for us, our wives do not want us to lay our life down for them. They want us to put the toilet seat down, which is a lot less effort than dying. Okay? You see, that's the kind of thing. If we truly love our wife the way Christ loved the church and we know that she prefers the toilet seat down, we would make sure to put the toilet seat down. Does that make sense? If we truly loved her like Christ loved the church, we would do the little things that's important. It's the simple things in life that shows our wife that we love her. We should listen intently when she speaks. We should spend time with her. We should pick up our socks. We should put the dishes in the sink. We should sacrifice our wants and our desires to please her. That is when she will know that she is the most cherished thing in our life. You see, God says to us men that we should put our wife up on a pedestal and she should be the most important thing. She should be cherished. She should be loved as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that's, that's our command that we cherish her. John Phillips said the husband is to make sure that his love for his wife is of such quality that, what, that come what may, she will remain so supremely in his heart that no sacrifice would seem too great for him to make for her. You know, it took me a long time to start putting the toilet seat down. It really did. Because we had two sons. And I would joke, but I would tell my wife, look, if I had two daughters and there was three women and me, I'd make sure the toilet seat was down. But there's three men. All of us have to put the toilet seat down for you. Yeah, if we love her. Right? I mean, that's simple. My wife doesn't want us to, our wives don't want us to die for it. They want us to do the little things that show we care. So then why 
did God say? So we know what God told us to do, but why? Because a woman's main emotional need is to be loved. She needs to feel that she is the most important thing in the world to her husband. We should, if, if our wives was the most important thing to us, we would have a hard time focusing at work because we're thinking about her. We're thinking about what we can do for her when we get home. We're thinking about uh, hugging and kissing on her when we get home. We're thinking about uh, being able to spend time with her. Men, just like we did when we were dating her. A husband's love should be a sanctifying love. So let's look at verse 26 and 27. Why did Christ do this? That he might sanctify and cleanse it, talking about the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Well, then that doesn't sound anything like the marriage, really. But if you think about it, think about this. The work of the cross did not end with salvation. Jesus didn't save us and then forget about us. He continues, as it says here in verse 26 and verse 27, He continues to sanctify and cleanse the church so that it can be glorious without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. So men, the work of the marriage did not end with the wedding. We cannot get married then forget about our wives. Just like Jesus, we need to continue working to sanctify and cleanse our relationship so that it can be glorious without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. It's an active thing that we have to continuously strive to do. Then verse 28 and 31, we get the how. Uh, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. So we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So what does he tell us to do? To love our wives as our own bodies. He said to nourish our bodies. That word nourish means to supply with what is necessary for life, health, and growth. That's how we should treat our wives. We should nourish them. We should supply what is necessary for her. Now, I'm not talking about... Uh, worldly things. I'm talking about emotional. And then also he said to cherish. That word cherish here in um, verse number 29 means to hold or treat as dear, to care for tenderly, to nurture. And that is exactly what the Lord is telling us how that we uh, should treat our wives. And then in uh, goes on to say in verse number 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. We should leave, we should cleave, and we should become one flesh. That word joined unto his wife means to cleave. Bible, God said that we should leave father and mother. We should, that word leave means to abandon, forsake, and leave behind. What is he saying? He's saying that our wife should be more important to us than any other human being on this planet, including mom and dad, including our children, including in-laws, including neighbors, including friends at work. Our, it doesn't matter if you've had a friend for your, ever since childhood. Our wife should be more important to us than the friend we've known longer than we've known our wife. We join to his wife. That word join means to glue or to cleave. And then one flesh... That not only means 
uh, emotionally, but also physically. Warren Wiersbe said, In the marriage relationship, the husband and wife become one flesh. Therefore, whatever each does to the other, they do to themselves. It is mutually satisfying experience. The man who loves his wife is actually loving his own body since he and his wife are one flesh. Then in verse number 32, Paul throws a monkey wrench into the whole thing. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Well, from verse 22 all the way down to verse 31, I thought he was talking about the home. What he's saying is, is that our relationship at home should mirror the church's relationship with Christ. It should be that precious. It should be that holy. It should be taken that seriously. We should take our relationship with our spouse as seriously as we take our relationship with God. How many, how many people agonize over trying to figure out what God's will is for their life and what God wants them to do? Do we spend that time agonizing over what our wife wants? Do the ladies spend that time agonizing over what their husband wants? But see, God, in verse number 31 right there, Paul said, or verse 32, he said, I'm speaking of Christ in the church. So he's, he's showing a mirror is what he's doing. He's saying our relationship with our spouse should mirror our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 33, he wraps everything up. He says, nevertheless, even though I'm talking about Christ and the church, nevertheless, he said, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So that word reverence means to be in awe of, to revere. The dictionary um, definition of reverence is a feeling of deep respect tinged with awe. I thought that was a very interesting um, definition, a feeling of deep respect tinged with awe. So why does God tell husbands to love their wives? Because he created women with the basic emotional need to be loved and cherished. So the only way that I can fulfill as a husband, the only way that we can fulfill the emotional needs of our wife is to love and to cherish her, to put her on a pedestal, to treat her like something that is precious to us because she should be. So why did God tell wives to be in subjection to their husbands and reverence them? Because he's trying to be mean? No, because he created men with the basic emotional need to be respected and admired. So what he, see, we can read negative into both of these, but it's, there's no negative there. This is only positive. He's saying, men, if you want to have a great relationship with your wife, here's how you should view her. Ladies, if you want to have a great relationship with your husband, here is how you should view him. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 3 says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. So he said equally, do benevolence. So what in the world does this word benevolence mean? It means kindness and the desire to do good for the other person. So that is the basis of a marriage relationship. The husband should give the wife due benevolence. 
and the wife should give the husband due benevolence, and that is we should treat each other with kindness, and we should have the desire to do what is good for them. Think about it. If you have two people that are consistently looking for ways they can do good for the other person, how can not not create a home filled with the fruit of the Spirit? If you have two people that every minute of the day, I'm trying to figure out how I can make my wife happy. Every minute of the day, she's trying to figure out what she can do to make me happy. How can there be an argument? How can there be a disagreement? How can we butt heads? Would it not be that we, we would have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? A wife's responsibility is to submit her to her husband. A wife's responsibility to submit to her husband is not dependent on how he loves her. And a husband's responsibility to love his wife is not dependent on how or if she submits to him. You see, God didn't tell me, you love your wife as long as she submits to you. And God didn't say, you ladies, submit to your husband only if he loves you. One's not dependent on the other. God told me and you men to love our wives, period, as Christ loved the church, irregardless of how she reacts to that. And ladies, God told you to uh, honor him as the head of the house, irregardless of how he treats you. But that doesn't give the other person a pass. All right, just as a moment of reflection, let's revisit the question that we started out with tonight. Don't answer out loud, just think about it. Usually the first thing that comes to mind is how you really feel. We ask, what is the most important thing in your life? The thing that you hold the most special? The one thing that you could not live without? I wonder, did any of us say our husband or our wife? And if not, hopefully, that's how we feel now. All right, so that wraps up chapter number five. We'll be in chapter number six next week.